Um, If you have a Bible tonight, we're going to take a reading from the book of Mark, chapter 10. Book of Mark, chapter 10. And we're going to read the last few verses of that chapter. Last week, Brother Brian, or this week, I guess, Brother Brian and I have been in revival. And uh, there was a brother that made reference to this story. And right when he said that, it lodged in my mind. Didn't know when I was going to bring it before you all, but feel like I need to tonight. And so, Book of Mark, chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse 46 and read down to verse 52, which is the last verse of the chapter. And they came to Jericho, excuse me, and they came to Jericho, and, he, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. When he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What will thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. The title of our message tonight, based on this story, is A Cry for Mercy. A Cry for Mercy. One of the very unfortunate things about religion today, and churches today in America is formality. That starts from the pulpit to the singing to the pew. There is this terror inside many that will be, if we reveal our hearts, that there will be this judgment That there will be this side-eye view that people look at us. That our reputations, that our pride might be diminished in the eyes of others. And so almost regardless of where you go, we hear, we're inundated with facts all the time about divorce rates and 
children who rebel and financial problems and suicide and sexual confusion. And so we know that problems are going on. I know you're having problems. And you know that I'm having problems. Right? What is it? Pastor burnout is, I think, what they call it. And these surveys that are done, you know, it's 60, 70% since COVID, whatever the number, 30 or 40% have just quit preaching. So no one is exempt. And I think the real casualty to formality and religion is that it chokes the genuine movement of the Holy Spirit of God. Because what we know about God's Holy Spirit is that He values brokenness. When you come to the house of God, or even if you just go to God, and you don't have a good speech... And you don't have a prepared list of needs. You have not already cured your problem and just need him to write the prescription. It's not that. A couple of years ago, some of you will remember, many of you were there. We had a two-week-old baby and we went to a sister church trying to get acquainted with the area. And our little boy Landry was running in the pews of Fairview Memorial and he tripped and he fell and he split his head open and... And I heard the crash, and I heard the wail, and the wail was different than what it normally was. And I heard somebody say, there's blood. And I turned my head, and he had a gash. But as you know about head wounds, they bleed double what most wounds do. And so I rush over there, and he's just covered in blood. And what's he doing? Well, normally when my kid needs something and I'm talking to an adult at church, they politely are supposed to come and tug my coat and say, excuse me. And then they're to wait until they're spoken to. But there are exceptions to that. And he met an exception because his need was so great and his pain was so real and so palpable That the crushing pain, that the the sensation sensing through his nerves, they were so great that all formalities and all appropriate responses to needing something completely are abandoned. And it's just running to someone who can satisfy the needs that he has in the moment. And yet little did he know that I stood in the same helpless state that he did. And so I swooped him up. You know, I, I try not to spend a lot of money on my stuff that I wear up here. But at that moment, I didn't care. I just rushed him to my shirt to try to stop the bleeding. And I took off running. And there was one name that crossed my mind, Dr. Mike. And, you know, I wasn't processing at the moment. I know head wounds bleed a lot. But I wasn't processing that at the moment. All I was thinking was all the blood. And I was desperate. And so I hollered out, where's Dr. Mike? And I heard somebody say, I think he left. And I 
Didn't, didn't say, excuse me. I didn't worry about what people were thinking. I rushed outside and I began to holler out. I couldn't find him and I couldn't see him. And there were cars there and there were people there. And there were some elderly people in front of me. And I rudely just cut around them. And I began to yell out, Dr. Mike, Dr. Mike. And I found him out there about to get in his car. You see a cry of mercy When we have genuine need is not muffled by the expectations of formality. It bubbles up from the depth of man when he comes to the end of himself. And as others sit back and they look at the situation and they analyze it from their perspective, they may think that there was a more appropriate way to come. But listen, you know in the desires of the heart when the need is great enough, you just respond with cries of mercy. One of the downsides to a nation who has become educated is that we think we can fix all the problems in some formal fashion. That if we can just invent technology, if we can just discover the medication, if we can just figure out the tricks to education, if we can just do these things, we have the power. And yet 3,000 years ago, was it not the king that spoke so wisely in the book of Proverbs chapter 3, instructing us, do not lean upon your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. Hear this man. I'm not going to go through it all tonight, but being blind then was a lot greater handicap to you than it is now. But I want you to notice something about verse 46 that I never noticed before. It tells us his name, and then it tells us his father's name. You see, as we read some of the parables, Jesus, for example, when he's talking about the rich man of Lazarus, we don't know the rich man's name. When we read about the woman who reached through the crowd and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, we don't know her name. Not that that is that big of a deal, but a name in my heart and mind is indicative of a real human being. Like many of you, I cannot separate your identity from your name. And if I hear your name out somewhere else, I might be at some random place and they may just say your first name, my mind subconsciously just links that name with you. And then notice, it also identifies his father. Like he was a flesh and blood person. You know, if I was trying to describe who certain kids were, I I might say, you know, You know, Becca, you know, Gerald and Mary are her mother. You see, this man was a man, a real person. And in our world where we at times become so self-focused and we're aware intricately of our own needs and our own desires and our own emotions and our own thoughts and our own lives. Sometimes it's very easy when we consider the hardships and needs of others to detach ourselves from the fact that they are a real person with as potent of needs and emotions and feelings and brokenheartedness as we are and perhaps at times even greater. That some people here, listen to me, 
feel things deeper than you do. And they're not wrong and you're not right. That's just who they are. You see, he was Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. He was a real person. And did you know as we speak about these men in the Bible, as we speak about people in heaven, as we speak about people in hell, they're real people. Our brains just categorize them into stories. We categorize them into these fables and fairy tales and we blend all the things that we see on TV and the fantasy that it places before us with these stories that are told to us and it makes it seem like they did not think, feel, act and have all the things that we do. But listen, even in this very hour, Bartimaeus is a person. And he was sitting and he was begging. Now, I've thought about this before. I, I've thought a lot about it because you see people in Bowling Green beg. Anywhere you travel, you, you, if you go to a big city, you see people beg. And I know that people often do it for wrong motives. But think about the utter humiliation of getting to the point where you're in such need and you have exhausted literally every avenue that you could possibly conceive. I'm not talking about somebody mentally ill. I'm not talking about somebody who's milking the system. I'm saying there are people in the world right now who are so at the end of their rope. They're so in their circumstance. They have offered to work. Listen, over in Africa where I would travel, there was 40 and 50 and 60% unemployment rates there. So when often people are at the side of the road begging, they're not begging as a living. They're genuinely begging. Imagine the place where you have to switch in your mind. Imagine how much that your pride has to be broken to get to the place where you have exhausted every, every, every act of, uh, or everything that you could possibly imagine in order to, to do something for yourself and provide for those around you. And you just say, I'm going to go to a random street corner and I'm going to see if, there, if, if I can beg and ask and, and just expect on the compassion of other people. Strangers. You know, I have a hard time asking anybody for help with anything. Many of you are that way. I would especially have a hard time asking a stranger when I know I have nothing to give them in return. Right? You go to the hospital and they're a stranger, but what you know is that they're getting paid eventually. And usually very handsomely. And so you justify asking them for all the needs that you have because you say, you know what? I'm going to give up to them probably over and above what I actually am getting. But imagine getting so desperate. And all the formalities that you have built over 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of life have completely gone out the window. And you're on a street corner. And you're saying, will you please help me? Will you please help me? That was this man. Somebody that you and I don't hang out with. You know? That was this man. 
And finally, he hears this noise. Evidently, there's, well, we know, evidently, there's this crowd that has been following Jesus. And he's been doing all these wonderful things. And people are just mesmerized. You know, I think I'd quit my job too and follow him. Wouldn't you just out of how mesmerized? If you saw a hundred people get healed and you never seen anything like that before, you might be a no-call, no-show tomorrow, right? I just got to see what he does next. And these people are following him around. And Bartimaeus makes sense of what's going on. He cries out and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, that's, that's a tough thing to do with a crowd of people, isn't it? You ever been in a, in a group of people that you didn't know, and somebody asks a question and you know the answer to it, and you still don't raise your hand and answer it just because you're afraid to draw the attention of all these people? And so you just sit with your hands folded because... I don't know, there's something about us often that's just we feel ashamed, we feel embarrassed, we just don't like to be the one that's in the center of attention. And yet this man's desperation compels him to call out in need. And listen to me tonight, if you're someone who is very self-conscious, that's going to present a phenomenal stumbling block to you. Like if you're someone who the first things that come into your mind when you feel compulsions to act upon something is, I wonder what they're going to think and I wonder what they're going to say and I wonder how this is going to be interpreted. Listen to me, that's going to be a huge stumbling block for you to ever find the Lord. Because at any point, if anyone comes between you and the Lord, that's an obstacle. Now I want to say this. Nobody here at this church is going to judge you for seeking the Lord. You may act different than what I did when I was lost. You may pray different. You may persevere longer. You may give up quicker. You may do all, you may pray at your seat. You may pray at the bench. You may go out of the room and say, you know what, I just got to get out of here and I got to go pray. And you may do any number of things that are different. But listen to me, what I want you to do ultimately is set all the people and the social dynamics that often uh, impede your ability to pray, completely block them out. Because if you're ever going to get saved, you cannot be self-conscious of what people think. And I think very often in our day of social media where clips go around and people view in the hundreds and in the thousands, people making mistakes and the laughter that ensues and we watch that and it trains our minds to think, I better not do something foolish because then just like I've laughed at a thousand people before me on that little screen, they're going to laugh at me for doing these things. You see... Satan could subconsciously teach us things that we don't even realize that we're doing and learning. But there comes a point like Bartimaeus. These people start saying, be quiet. From all corners today, you know, you can, if you're a lost person, you can experience that. You might have friends and family that say, you know what, you don't, all the preacher needs to do is shake your hand and tell you that you're saved. 
You don't need to do all this praying and all this crying. You don't have to wait for some experience with God. You don't need any of that. And that's someone that's trying to silence you from getting to Jesus. Because listen to me, every person that was healed in the scriptures, it's not because the apostles came and said, you know what, I've got the authority of Jesus, I'm going to come down here, we don't want to bother him, I'm going to take the time with you myself, tell me about your problems, tell me your story, that's not the way it worked. All of these people were seeking to get to Jesus, because in him alone lied the virtue to heal both the body and the soul. And so listen tonight, no matter what preacher, no matter what religious regimen that you think you have to go through, no matter what location you think you have to pray in, no matter what words and what cadence that you think you have to have, none of those things matter. What matters is getting to Jesus. They tried to silence him. But their silencing did no good because the man needed Jesus. Listen, if my children were hurting, really hurting, I would barrel through an army. I would. I would wreck my vehicle, and I would get out, and I'd grab my kid, and I'd start sprinting towards the hospital. Why? Because truth be told, I have no medical experience whatsoever. And if they get really hurt... There is absolutely nothing I can do. You know, that, that is how man is with his lost companions. Oh, I wish that I could just give you advice about what you're doing wrong in prayer. I wish I could give you advice about how to seek the Lord. I wish I could give you advice to all the things you are or you are not doing. But listen, you've got to get to Jesus. That's it. He cries out the louder. Now, again, my own social fears get in the way for me portraying this the way that I think it should be. So here's how I really think it went, okay? The first time he hears that it's Jesus, I imagine him thinking about it and saying, oh, that, oh, that man. Oh, I, I've heard about him. I've heard that he's healed people. Okay. I don't want to say anything. I'm scared. Thou son of David... Will you please help me? And Jesus is passing by. And you know in the moment, seconds matter. Seconds matter. In, a, in 10 seconds, he could, beyond, he could be beyond the call of the year. And so these people are saying, shush up, be quiet. He's talking to these people. He's talking to that Pharisee that's really important in our synagogue. He's just be quiet. And the man realizes that his opportunity to get Jesus' attention is dwindling by the moment. And so in the very next moment, not being suppressed by what anybody thinks, he cries out, please, son of David, have mercy on me, help. first time Jesus didn't hear him but the second time Jesus heard him look at how deliberate the story is then Jesus stopped 
Verse 49. And Jesus stood still. And commanded him to be called. So, here's what happened. This is the imagination, but based upon the story, it seems very tenable. Jesus can't get to the man. Because remember, everywhere he went, he's thronged with people. And so he looks to somebody next to him to function as a servant and says, Hey, go tell him to come here. So, you know, when we say go to Jesus, you might think in your mind and heart, listen, Jesus is in heaven. He's completely separated from me, but praise God, there's a a servant that he has left behind by the name of the Holy Spirit that is dispensed and called out to go into this world and to speak to people what Jesus has commanded. And so when we talk about the Spirit of God and feeling the burdens of your sins or being under conviction, what I want you to know is that is Jesus' servant being commanded to go and to speak to you what Jesus has to say. So when you hear the message of the Spirit, I want you to realize that message is not of himself, but it is being relayed by him from the very throne of God itself. God is speaking to you. I love, I love the way the message comes. Be of good comfort. Rise. You know how I think who the messenger was? Somebody who had spent a little bit of time with Jesus. Somebody who had seen him around. They'd seen him heal. They had seen him go into the cities. And he had a, a place that was just full of sickness and illness and disease and beggars. And then they had watched him go from street to street and house to house. Go out to the wayside where people would gather in the hundreds and thousands and bring their sick out. This person, I believe, by the way they approach blind Bartimaeus, they say, listen, oh, it's your day. This is your lucky day. Because I've seen people just like you come to Jesus and they did not walk away the same. He says, be of good comfort and rise. He is calling you. Say, friend, do you remember the first time the Lord called you? You remember that? I was in the third grade in a bathroom. And I was praying for my divorced parents to get remarried. And then God called me to come to him. Oh, and praise God. You know, I didn't know what to do. I panicked. I didn't do what I should have. So you know what? Later on, Jesus stood still again. And he called me again. And I rejected his call. And so periodically, Jesus would call me and say, come unto me. And at that time, my heart was heavy laden with brokenness about the brokenness of my family. And so he would say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And so I would go to the counselor to get rest. And I would talk to my mom to get rest. And I would try to get rest, but I couldn't get rest. And Jesus would just keep calling me, come, come to me. October 6, 1998, on an altar, after the majority of church left for lunch, 
I was still on the altar praying. And God gave me peace. I'm of good cheer today because I got to Jesus. The man, I love the figure here, and he, casting away his garments. You know, the woman, the water pot, John 4, she left her water pot. You know, different people throughout all the scriptures, they, when they're really having a true encounter with God, they forget their past and the things of their past. So listen, tonight, there's many of you that have sought the Lord many times and you've not come up with peace. Listen to what you've got to do. Leave it behind you. I don't know what was deficient the last time you sought the Lord. I don't know what stumbling block was there that prevented you from doing it. But listen, there's going to have to come a point when you're seeking the Lord where all of those past attempts to find him that have failed must fully be dismissed from your mind because it's right here and right now that you're needing Jesus. He came to Jesus. And that day... He received his sight. He cried for mercy. And he walked away with mercy. One more thought and I'm done. The blind man, you might say, you know what? He was blind and he couldn't control that. So, Jesus might be in the business of showing mercy to people when it's not their fault. They just have an ailment or a problem that is imposed upon them at birth and something has happened to them and that's the reason. But listen, one of the beautiful truths of the scriptures is that you are not worthy of mercy. That you and I, and the Bible is replete with examples, and perhaps no more profound example than on the day of Pentecost, as Peter is preaching the gospel, and he finally turns to those men in whom he is preaching to, and he says to them, you are the ones who have crucified Jesus. You have crucified the Messiah. Now listen to me tonight. What greater sin have you ever committed than killing God? None of you have ever committed a sin that would reach the level from a human perspective of killing God. And yet when they cried out, what must we do? Peter preached to them a message that they needed to repent of their sins. And if they would do that, they could find and make peace with God. You see, they were guilty of the greatest sin you could commit. And they still cried out for mercy and God answered them. Tonight... Cry for mercy. Genuine, sincere, heart-breaking mercy. Let me tell you what you don't do. Don't come explaining to God what you need. Don't come telling God what you think you need. Lord, I know this person's a I know that I've done this in my past. I know, I know. No, you don't. That's why you need God's mercy. Is because you are no longer, no more able to heal your problem than you are to diagnose your problem. And so you come utterly helpless and you say, I've got a head wound and there's blood that's gushing. I don't know what happened. I don't know what to do about it, but I know you can help me. And you lay yourself there 
in utter faith that God will help you. And then you wait till he does. And isn't that the final conclusion of this story that is so wonderful? The man received his sight. Now, do you think, listen to me tonight, do you think that that whole crowd or the people that came to him and told him about it had to say, hey, he healed you now? No, 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 no. The instant he could see, he knew it because everything changed. You know, that's what happens the moment a person gets saved. I remember when I got saved, hear me, Sister Ashley gives for us a song. The moment I got saved, it happened so fast. I was just in disbelief. And I thought, is that it? Like I had been laboring and laboring and laboring and crying and praying and praying. And this had extended for months and months and months. And then all of a sudden, it's gone. And I had been changed. Listen tonight, if you're here and you're lost, don't analyze your prayers. Don't try to fix them. Don't think about the people around you self-consciously. Just cry out to Jesus for mercy.